If you were God, and you were going to send your son, really yourself, for God was in Christ, as you know, reconciling the world to us, in us. If you were God, and you were going to send your son to live in a land where there was night, where there was pain, where there was suffering, where there was loneliness, where there was hatred and violence. If you were going to send your son into that world, you would be very careful about selecting his parents. You would want the very best persons you could find. He began with Mary. Many of you were here when I preached a sermon a few weeks ago on Mary. Not nearly emphasized enough in Protestant life. Remarkable woman whom God used in an incredible and miraculous way. We should all thank God for Mary. What kind of father, earthly father, surrogate father, for his son was to be born of a virgin, but he was to have an earthly example of what a father is like, as closely resembling God's spirit and God's attitude and God's heart as he could find. And he picked a man that I think is one of the unsung heroes of the Bible. His name was Joseph. Can you imagine that God would pick this man to say, I want you to represent me to myself, to my son. I want you to be an earthly example of the heavenly person that he is because he is in a mysterious and magical Tremendous moment that we cannot completely define. He is holy God and holy man. It's hard for us to reconcile that, but God does. He was God, holy God. He was a man. He was holy a man. And God wanted a father, a surrogate father, to teach that part of the human man that Christ was. The word father was the favorite word Jesus used to describe God. And I believe he also used it because it was a favorite word to describe Joseph. Father. Jesus' use of the word father by Jesus is not only a revelation from God, but a revelation from God through his earthly father. For the earthly part of this divine combination that is the incarnate Christ. So I'd like for you to turn with me to your Bible, first cha- the second chapter, oh, the first and second chapters of the book of Matthew. Uh, in the Bible there in the book rack in front of you, page 955 and, ni- and 956. I think it begins at the bottom of 955. 
You know this story, we heard it not long ago when we sang it and preached about it, beginning with the 18th verse. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, in other words, before they were married, before they had physical relationships, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, listen to these words, a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, and I'll read that in a moment, a righteous man, a good man, not a perfect man, but a good man. Charlie Fanning was a good man. He was not a perfect man. But he was as fine a man as I ever knew. And I thank God that he gave me a wonderful earthly father. Notice Joseph's discretionary nature. Did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Didn't want to hurt her any more than she was already being hurt by the gossips of the city. Not only she was being behind her back smiled about. Joseph didn't put her down. I wonder how Jesus learned that. Didn't want to put her to disgrace. Jesus never wanted to put anyone to disgrace. He wanted to put people to grace alone. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. The gentleman, the true epitome of what it means to be a gentle man. Fully a man, but a gentle one. But after he had considered this, he did not act impetuously. He did not let his emotions take over. He thought about it. And I'm sure he was praying about it when an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Told Joseph to pick the name. To take the name God told him to give him. Because he will save his people from their sins. 24th verse, when Joseph woke up, he did. Now you're going to see this through the, these four revelations that came to Joseph. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no physical union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Then the story of the Magi coming to Bethlehem after they were forced to go to Bethlehem because of the taxation. You know the story of the three wise men, the Magi coming and bringing gifts to uh, Bethlehem to the baby Jesus. And they came and they brought their gifts. Now we're in the second chapter of the book of Matthew. And then when they had gone, 13th verse, 
<clears throat> excuse me, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for him to kill him. So, he got up. No questions. No doubts. No hesitation. He knew that God had spoken to him. And he knew that God expected him to respond to what he had told him to do. So he didn't have to, he didn't have to get any further counsel. He didn't have to think about it any longer. He didn't have to get a book. He said, this is what God wants me to do. Do it. Get up and go. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Foreign land. Foreign gods. Maybe no friends there or family there at all. Took the child and the mother during the night. He didn't even wait till daybreak after God had spoken to him. When God impresses you and you know it's from God and you need to step out and do it. He got up and he went. Got up and he went. Left and left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. There's an interesting symbolism here that came across my mind thinking about this. Think all the way back to Moses and Egypt, synonymous with sin and slavery, and despotism, and how the children of Israel were led out of Egypt by Moses and through the wilderness by Moses, and then the staff of leadership was handed to Joshua, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus in the Greek, Yahshua, Yeshua. Joshua, the same. Isn't it interesting that the first Joshua and the second Joshua coming out of Egypt? So he got up, took the child and his mother, left for Egypt, then heard the word from God to get up and go back. For out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And so he gave all kinds of orders to kill the babies. You know that horrible story. After Herod died, now in the 13th verse, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Here he is again. Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. But when he heard, Joseph that is, that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. What kind of father was Joseph? What kind of father, grandfather am I to be and the father you men are to be and you future fathers are to be someday when if it's in God's plan you have children, you're to be their parent. Joseph's a good example. He's an incredible example. He was a man of vision. He was a man of prayer. Notice how often God spoke to him motivated him, encouraged him, and commanded him as a result of prayer. He was a man of action. He was willing to put feet to his prayers, 
He had faith. You know faith is not a noun, it's a verb. It means to act upon something. You don't have faith in an airplane till you get on it. You don't have faith in an elevator till you get on it. You don't have faith in God's will till you do it. Jean-Paul Sartre said the sin of our time is that we have taken the concrete and turned it into abstracts. That's not what God does. He takes abstract and turns it into concrete. That's what Jesus is. That's what the word of life is. That's what we're to be. Take the abstract of responsibility of the world in which we live as Christians and turn it into concrete action. Get up, go. Get up, go. Get up and do. Get up and be. Man of prayer. We know him through his character. Character. Character is what we are in the dark. And we know who we are in the dark. And God has come to create within us Christ-like characteristics. Let this mind be in you, the scripture I quoted earlier, which was also in Christ Jesus. Fathers, let's let the mind of Christ be in us. What could happen in America if every father had the mind of Christ in him? What kind of homes would we have? What kind of children would we have? What kind of society would we have? Where are the men? Where are the Josephs? Where are such fathers? God, increase their number. May you use this church to increase their number. Is it it perplexing to you to realize that Joseph taught, now don't run ahead of me here and jump to some negative conclusion, but listen to me. Joseph taught God. That little baby was God incarnate. Joseph taught the boy Jesus, the baby Jesus, the young man Jesus. He taught him. The Bible says in the second chapter of Luke, Jesus grew in wisdom not necessarily in knowledge. He probably had a lot, not a lot of knowledge. But he grew in wisdom and in stature, physically, and in favor with God and man. He grew in all four dimensions of relationships. He grew mentally, physically, relation to God and relation to others. If it may sound strange to you, stick with me. God learns. You say, but Bugner is omniscient. I understand that. But there's a difference between accumulating mental information. But we we normally think of learning as as a mental process. Now, of course, God was not limited by time or ignorance. He learns. God learns in the sense of taking on new experiences. He moves from the abstract to the concrete. He moves from the theoretical to the practical. He moves from information to involvement. God learns. Well, for example, when I was in Baylor, one one of my closest friends' mother died. What was my friend Browning Ware? He's spoken here and is a dear, wonderful friend. Browning's mother died when we were in Baylor. And we got in my 1946 Ford, and we drove down to Brownsville for the funeral. 
of Mrs. Ware. Wonderful, marvelous woman. And I felt for my friend Browning. I told him I was praying for him and that I wanted to encourage him. But I could not say to Browning, I understand what you're going through because my mother was still alive. I could not say, I understand. I could say, I feel for you, I pray for you, and I encourage you, but I do not understand what it's like for a person's mother to die until my mother dies, and I deal with that, and then I can say, now I have learned something. I knew theoretically that it was going to happen someday, for it does to all of us, but I didn't know what the response in my life would be. I would have a new experience. I would grow. I would mature. My world would expand. And in the same sense that that happens to us, that happened to God. Now, for some scripture to fortify this, turn to page 1185 in that Bible, or if you want to turn to the uh, third chapter of the book of Hebrews, if you have your own Bible. I don't know the page number in your Bible. Not, not, not being psychic, I cannot tell you that. Page 1185 in the third chapter, beginning in the latter part of the eighth verse. Putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God... Here it is. He might taste death for everyone. This is what he's going to learn, what he's going through. The same things you and I are going to have to go through. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author or captain of our salvation perfect. And in the New Testament, the word perfect means complete. Mature, having every emotional experience that we will have. Completely mature. He was already sinless in that he was morally perfect, but he learned through experiences what it was like to hurt, what it was like to be rejected by family and friends, what it was like to be ridiculed, what it was like to be betrayed. He learned what that felt like because that's what we feel like sometimes. And he wants to enter into every emotional experience that you enter into. And he did it without sin. So it's in his sinlessness that he can come and help us through all of our trials and troubles and tribulations and exigencies or whatever else might happen in our life. Now listen, he goes on, 14th verse. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He even died for us. Not only did he live through all the junk you and I have to go through, but he went through death for us. For this reason, I'm jumping ahead to the 17th verse. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Tested is a synonym, too. When he was tempted or tested, he is able to those to able to help those who are being tempted and tested. And then the fifth chapter of Hebrews, if you want to turn over a page or two to the uh, Let's see, what verse is it? 15th verse. 
No, it's the latter part of the fourth verse. For we do not have a high priest, 15th verse of the fourth chapter. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace. Choir sang it beautifully. The throne of grace to help us in our time of need. Could Jesus have sinned? Yes. Could Jesus have succumbed? Could Jesus have failed? Yes. If he could not have sinned, God was putting on an act. And the one thing Jesus spoke most harshly against was people who put on an act. Those temptations were as real to him as they are to us. And he could have said yes, but he said no. And it is in his no that we can derive energy and experience and spirit for us to say no when the tempter comes into our lives. We will never be perfect, but we can be more mature. We can be stronger. We can be more like him because he has been like us. Yes, he could have failed. Why did he pray so much? That was no act. If he couldn't have failed, why did he go out and spend time with the Father? Why did he sweat blood? Because he was facing the same stresses that you and I stress or face in our lives. So he became like us, so that in time we could be made like him. Bonhoeffer, martyred by Hitler because of Bonhoeffer's devotion to the Lord and to peace, said, only a suffering God can help us. And he did. John Calvin said, those who imagine the Son of God was exempt from human passions did not understand him to be a man. There was a heresy in the early church, and it's lingered with us historically. There's still some of us who have a hard time accepting the manhood of Jesus. I have no problem accepting the divinity of Jesus. But some of us have a hard time believing he really was a man. You cut him, he bleeds. You reject him, he cries. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you together as a hen does gather her chicks, but you would not. A person can only learn obedience when tempted to disobey. What did Jesus learn from Joseph? He learned volumes. He learned about character. He learned about faith, about willingness to risk. Marrying a pregnant woman. And only he and Mary and God knew that that child was born of the Holy Spirit. Well, I venture to say that down at the coffee shop at the, on the square in Nazareth during coffee break, they were smiling and saying, yeah, yeah, Mary's pregnant, but... Uh, they claim God did it. Sure. Jesus. Jesus knew what they were saying about his mother. He watched his father deal with that. We'll lock a room out at the country club after a round of golf. Hey, have you heard? Oh, Joseph. 
Where do you think Jesus got his strength to face adversaries like that? He not only got it from the God in him, but for the Joseph in him. Man of, of courage. Why did Jesus defend the misunderstood? Why did Jesus defend those that other people were talking about? Even lying about. He saw his father stand up under that. Talk about faith and courage. Taking off to go down there to Bethlehem, not knowing how he's going to make a living. And then of all places, having to go all the way to Egypt and just on the spur of the moment, God tells him to go and he goes. He couldn't write, a, write ahead or call ahead and try to find a place to live or get a job. You talk about walking by faith. We don't know what talk, walking by faith is. Here it is. Risky? Yes. Kierkegaard said something to the effect, and I don't think I'm quoting it correctly, that faith is like sailing out alone into the ocean in a small boat as a storm is coming. He says it better than I, but you get the picture. This is what Joseph did time after time after time. His courage. Where do you think Jesus got concern for little people? The disenfranchised ones, the little people, the lonely people, the lost people. He had it from God and he had it from Joseph. And his compassion. Where did he get his compassion? You remember the story in the New Testament when um, Jesus was going to this prominent man's home because a child was sick and he was going to go there and perform a miracle. All these people were crowding around, jostling Jesus. The crowd always was. And this woman who'd been sick with this issue of blood for all of these years kind of feebly and embarrassingly reached out and just touched the hem of his garment and Jesus stopped still. He said, who touched me? And they said, well, the disciples said, well, Master, everybody's touching you. You're being touched by a lot of people. He said, no. Somebody reached out a hand that was hurting, and I felt it. Where did he learn that? I don't know for sure. I'm just like a little child playing along in the shallow water, even talking about this. I don't know where Jesus got it, but I think he got it when he was building some houses with his dad, a little boy, and putting those stones together, for they worked more in stone than they did in wood. Putting those stones together, Jesus got his little hand caught between two stones and cut his finger. He pulled it out and he started crying, and he went over where Joseph was working, and Joseph, and he said, Dad, I've cut my hand. What do you think Joseph did? He dropped his tools, stopped everything that he was supposed to be doing and getting paid to do to take care of his boy. That's why he hears you when you cry. That's why he stops everything to come to you when you're hurt. He learned it from God, and he learned it from Joseph. 
May God give us fathers, may help us to be fathers of character and faith and of courage and compassion. And if we do, then hopefully and prayerfully, our children and our children's children will rise up and call us blessed. Why? Because of the Heavenly Father and because of the fathers that we've had or the surrogate fathers we have had in school teachers or coaches or Sunday school teachers or other men who have come into the lives of some children who had no earthly father but found in them qualities that helped embody within them the same qualities that Joseph embodied in Jesus. And maybe the surrogate father in this life and on this planet might inculcate values that the biological father was incapable of giving. God has a way of providing for his own. He has a way. Why don't you let him have his way in your life? Trust him as your savior. Follow him as your Lord. Get up and do what he's urging you to do. Father, lead your family. Lead your family to be what God wants you and your family to be. And so Joseph led the family. He named the boy. He named him because God instructed him to do so. And he expects us fathers to be men of character and faith and courage and compassion. And an invitation for anybody and everybody to give their heart and their life to the Lord, to become a part of the life and fellowship of this church, to help us create more within the atmosphere of this church the qualities that were embodied so magnificently in Joseph. Come, I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand and let's sing.